Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Where we start today is the Democratic Party. What is going to happen to the Democratic Party now? What a big difference the last 10 days has made. You know, 10 days ago, we were all uh, spinning different tales about could the Republican Party survive a huge Donald Trump loss? Uh, well, today, everybody's scratching their head and saying, could the can the Democratic Party survive a huge Donald Trump win? And I think the answer is pretty clear. The answer is, I believe, not without a total shakeup of the Democratic Party from top to bottom. And remember, I know I'm just echoing what Bernie Sanders said when he jumped into this race. And remember, he said that his goal was to get the progressive issues out in the mix. Uh, to lead the agenda with progressive issues in uh, the 2016 presidential election from a Democratic point of view, and also to reform the Democratic Party, which, let's face it, badly needs it. And I think the craziest thing the Democratic Party could do right now, and I hope it doesn't, is just say, oh, well, you know, it didn't come out the way we wanted. That's too bad. Now let's just move forward without stopping to think about no no, no. What went wrong and how do we fix it and how do we totally rebuild, refocus, rearm ourselves uh, and refresh ourselves uh, to get back maybe to, yeah, get back to a winning a Democratic Party. Remember, in 2009, the Republican Party did this and they came up with that famous autopsy report, which is a good report really showed the direction the Republican Party should be going in. Uh, unfortunately, the Republican Party totally rejected those recommendations. I think this time the Democratic Party has got to uh, come up with a new new direction and then stick to it and stick to it. St- and got to do it fast, right, because it's not four years from now. It's two years from now. And that's one of the points, I think, of the focus that we got to talk about for the proper focus of the Democratic Party just two years from now in the midterm elections, and they are so, so, so important, as we should have learned. So my question to you is, I'll give you some of my my ideas. What do you think the Democratic Party needs to do? Uh, 866-55-PRESS, our toll-free number, 866-55-PRESS. Bernie Sanders, by the way, uh, yesterday talked a little bit about this. He was at George Washington University unveiling his new book, um, our Revolution, uh, 1,500 people there packed into Lisner Auditorium. Uh, and Bernie says, for one thing, we've got to go out after every single vote. Every vote matters. The vote in California, the vote in Wyoming. Candidates for president should have to go after every one of those votes. I think that would create a better uh, democracy than what we have right now. Yeah. And Bernie, of course, is alluding to 
uh, getting rid of the Electoral College, which uh, uh, should be, I believe, on ev- the top of every everybody's list, not just Democrats or Republicans. Um, uh, and uh, and Bernie also uh, pointed out that uh, what he th- he feels the proper role of the Democratic should be vis-a-vis the new president. When he comes up with ideas that make sense for working people, I think we should be working with him. When he is racist and sexist and homophobe and Islamophobe, I think we are going to be vigorously in opposition. And Bernie will be helping lead that opposition now as a new member of the uh, Democratic leadership in the Senate. You know, I have to say, listen to Bernie. I've gone back and forth over the last week or so about whether or not I think Bernie could have won the election. And I think he could have. And this isn't this is come from a place of gloating or we told you so, but moving forward, how do we run elections? It, clearly, the one of the bigger issues in the Hillary Clinton campaign is she didn't give enough people give people enough ideas. Uh, there are middle class voters who are hurting. She couldn't even commit to a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. There are people who are having trouble going to college, can't afford it. She eventually got on Bernie's, but not but completely. She didn't not give a very full no. throated endorsement to the government assistant programs that we have out there who are aimed at helping the middle class people who did not show up and vote for Hillary Clinton. I think Bernie could have gotten those, and I think that moving forward. You've got to embrace that message. Democrats have ideas. Yeah. Democrats yeah. have damn good ideas. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, so I think there's several things that uh, that uh, the Democrats have to do. Let's talk about it. 866-55-PRESS. First of all, I think they've got to get away from focus on big donors. I mean, you hang around Democratic Party, the, the, the DNC, or you hear the DNC talking. What are they talking about? Well, we raised this much money this this month from, right. from all these huge big donors. No, 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 no. No, the donors, yeah, fine, it's good, we need the donors, right? But the donors should not be front and center, and the donors should not be deciding the policy of the party. It should be the voters. It should be, as you pointed out, Peter, it should be the middle-class American voters. It should be the Bernie supporters who, in small contributions, may I remind you, average donation, $27, (laughs) he raised $236 million. So it can be done. It doesn't have to come just from the... Fat cats. So focus, change the focus from the donors back to the voters, back to the base. Focus on the base. Uh, picking up on P- on Peter's point that uh, our message is, and you know, I, I got to tell you, again, I grew up in a small town in Delaware, 1,200 people, right? And there weren't that many rich people in that town, I got to right. tell you. There were like half a dozen. But the, uh, when I grew up as a little kid, the impression I got of the two parties was that the Republican Party was for those six people and the Democratic Party, the party of Franklin Roosevelt, long before my time, and uh, the party of Harry Truman. And other, there was a party that fought for people like us, the little people, the people who had to work hard you know, and b- barely put uh, things together at the end of the month and really had to scrape to send their kids to college. I was the first kid in my cl- uh, family to go to college. And and that's what that's the democratic that's what the Democratic Party should is and should be. And I think the Democratic Party got away from that. So get back to working middle class families, focus on the base and the issues that are important to them. Minimum wage and health care and child care and unions and jobs and creating jobs, good paying jobs for Americans. No these trade deals that invite um 
companies to send their jobs over overseas, keep those jobs here, uh, and make them secure, good-paying jobs. Uh, uh, another thing, I think the Democratic Party, Howard Dean was right years ago saying Democratic Party needs a 50-state base. Got to be active in all 50 states. It's got to be particularly active, however, in the states. So, I mean, don't don't write off any state, not even Utah. But it's got to be particularly active in the states where that working those working families are, the, in the Rust Belt states, not just and I consider myself a Californian now, but not just in New York and Connecticut and the East Coast, Virginia, and not just in California and Oregon, Washington, but right across the middle too. Yes, in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio in those, in those states. And in those states and in every state, I think the Democratic Party lost track of state houses, state legislatures, and governor's races. And as a result, what happened? In 2010, they all flipped 900 of them. State legislative since President Obama's been in the White House, 900 state legislative seats have shifted from Republican Democrat to Republican. And what does that mean? They're the ones who who drew the districts in 2010, and they're the reason we have the Tea Party um, powerhouse, if you will, in the Republican House of Representatives, in, in the House of Representatives, in the Republican Caucus. So. Democrats, again, have got to focus on all the states, and they've got to get back to governor's races and state legislative races, not just focus uh, on the White House. He can run, but he can't hide. Uh Uh-uh, President Obama, he may hop on Air Force One and think he's escaping us, but he is not because... We have our man on the road with President Obama. We borrowed him from uh, AP, uh, Josh Letterman, good friend of the program, who joins us from Germany on our news line this morning. Hello, Josh. Hey, Bill. Great to join you. Guten Morgen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should say. Uh, so you're in Berlin now, is that right? That's right. We're in the U.S. Embassy here in Berlin, where the president is currently having lunch with uh, the U.S. ambassador to Germany. Uh, he's going to be meeting shortly with uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel, and they'll hold a news conference together. And then uh, Obama will also meet with the, the Quint, a group of uh, key European leaders, tomorrow before we head on to Peru for the last stop on Obama's final foreign trip as president. Well, uh, the ambassador there, John Emerson, is a very, very good longtime friend of mine. So if you have a chance, uh, please tell Ambassador Emerson, uh, give him my, my best. <laughs> Uh, and let me ask you, Jack, it, so it's um, Greece, Germany, and Peru. Is there any serious business being done on this trip, or is it just um, kind of a last presidential junket, if I can use that word? Well, look, I think this had been originally envisioned as a valedictory tour. You know, this was supposed to be Obama coming off of Hillary Clinton's victory, really uh, showing off his accomplishments and sort of passing the torch to the next administration. Yeah. Instead, it's turned into sort of a group therapy session where the president <laughs> and his closest partners are trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now, and 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 how does um, how do these other countries position themselves to try to have a, a productive relationship with the Trump administration that does not turn its back on the work that Obama and others have tried to do. Uh, over the last eight years, you know, nowhere is that more evident than here in Germany, where Chancellor Merkel has been, you know, Obama's closest partner on the world stage. Yeah. They've really seen eye to eye, and she's really the last bulwark now against the type of 
uh, far-right nationalism that we've seen really start to take hold across Europe and now with Trump's election in the United States. Well, I was going to say, from what I've, uh, the statements that he's made and your reporting, right, the, the, this American election has really uh, has followed him, right, through to Greece and now into Germany. And he keeps talking about some of the implications of it. Yesterday's comments on globalization, for example, I guess warning people, right, that we can't crawl back in a isolationist hole. Is that a message? That's coming across. I think he's trying to thread the needle on that issue. Look, obviously, Obama and Democrats are aware that they need to do a much better job speaking to the economic anxieties of, uh, you know, rural working class Americans, you know, particularly white males. Um, but but Obama, you know, he's trying to concede that and say, yes, this is a problem. You know, globalization has left people behind and we need to address that. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not have the response to that, the isolationism and nationalism and retrenching behind our own borders. Let's find a way, you know, with the inevitable process of globalization that is kind of past the point of no return, uh, find a better way to make sure that uh, the benefits of that are more broadly shared, uh, including by the type of people whose anxieties led to Trump's election. Now, usually presidential trips are kind of... um there's a logic to them, a Western Europe or an Asian trip or a South American trip. So now Greece and Germany, I understand, but why Peru? Well, the Peru stop really was designed because uh, Obama has made a commitment every year to attend the APEC summit, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation uh, Summit of uh, Leaders. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they're hosting that in Lima, Peru, this year. So uh, he's going there where he'll meet with some key leaders, including uh, the president of China. I see. It is on the Pacific. So that's part of of the Pacific Rim strategy, if you will. Right. Or the... Right. What do they call that? The shift to the Pacific? The Asia rebalance. There you go. All right. Good. Welcome to the studio from Think Progress, our great partners in uh, in this broadcast. Just about almost yeah, right. every day, we have somebody in from Think Progress. Igor Volsky was in Igor yesterday. Is Esther Lee is an immigration reporter for Think Progress and studio with us. Hi, Esther. Good to see you. Hello. Thank you for having me. We want to talk to you particularly, um, uh, Esther. Have been looking at immigration all through this campaign and Donald Trump's Im- immigration policies. Uh, certainly, he's out, been outspoken about that. So, is it, as reports say, is he kind of softening now in his approach to this deportation force and rounding up 11 or 12 million people and sending them south of the border? So, I really, really appreciate how the media is painting this as Trump is softening on his position because he yeah, I wants don't buy border it. No. fencing. I absolutely don't buy it, and no. here's why. He's also advocating for the deportation of millions of immigrants. How is that softening, right? Like, how is that a position in which he is being humane and efficient as he once promised, right? So these are, these are he's going to start conducting um, mass raids, likely. Uh, he has promised that he's going to take away some of the executive action programs that President Obama has put in place to protect some of these undocumented immigrants. Um, and he has promised to take away sanctuary cities, which is where a lot of undocumented immigrants live, and they feel safe enough to work together with law, law enforcement. So there's going to be a lot of aspects of this that um, Donald Trump is going to change. The, the, the back to one of the things that you've been saying, Bill, since the election uh, is 
you do hope that Trump fails. I mean, if we take Trump at his word, what he said about immigration is a horrifying landscape of what America would be. And, yeah, I hope he doesn't get it done. I hope he fails in that regard. If we take him at his word, what he said about immigration mm-hmm. is horrific. Yeah. I mean, so you, uh, 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 he has said, okay, no, we're not going to start by rounding up all 12 million, right? We're going to focus on criminals, rapists, uh, murderers, drug dealers, right. and murderers, right? <laughs> and he says there are two to three million of those. Right. Really? There are not. There are likely not two to three million I mean, of but those. But he doesn't know, right? <laughs> Uh, we don't know. Actually, I mean, we do were... know because there are statistics of people, the number of people who are deported annually, and it's nowhere near two to three million people. And they're deported annually because they have a criminal record. Not just a criminal record. Sometimes they're deported because they only have an immigration violation. Uh, oh, so, like, perhaps okay. they entered the country and then they were deported and then they were they tried to come back to mm-hmm. reunite with their families again. And that is a felony. Mm-hmm. And that counts in Trump's America. That's as a crime. Yeah, yeah as a crime. Right. Uh, with the this guy from Kansas, Chris Kobach, right? Is he is his? my favorite evil genius. I just yes, his name is Chris Kobach. Emphasis on evil, <laughs> the evil genius. It seems very medieval. Uh, and and what is his contribution here? What is his role with Donald? So um, Chris Kobach is currently the Kansas Secretary of State, and he has been the architect of all these great, you know, successful. In a in an evil way, let me preface that yeah. evil way, um, anti-immigration legislation in states like Alabama, Georgia, Arizona. He's even had played a hand in passing like housing laws in places like Farmers Branch, Texas, and in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. So he's been able to make life as difficult as possible for undocumented immigrants. And it's worked. A lot of these legislations have worked. So you is he working with the Koch brothers? What is the name of that uh, group? You know what I mean? They're, we haven't talked about them for a while. They they write legislation for states. They did the voting rights stuff, and they did the uh, stand your ground yeah. laws. Yeah, I'm forgetting. Um, I'm blanking on it. But, uh, also okay. blanking. Yeah. But, okay. Um, so Kobach has been very successful in driving undocumented immigrants out of these states. So, for example, in Arizona, after SB 1070, that state's harsh anti-immigrant law passed, we saw um, a lot of educated immigrants leave because they just didn't want to stay in a place where they would be racially profiled. We saw a lot of undocumented immigrants leave. And um, in places like Alabama and Georgia, where they do rely on agriculture, uh, you know, a lot of the fields went fallow. Um, and it was certainly, it was certainly um, a hard time to be an immigrant in those states. And now with the Muslim registration, this is. Um, so he's sorry. he's but but no, it's just, he's talking about setting up a registry, right? Yes. So that Muslims would. Uh, I mean, what would that mean? First of all, could they even get in if they're Muslims? So wasn't there a religious test? First of all, he was going to talk about. Is it? Is it either or, either banning all Muslims or letting them come in by having this registry? Well, Trump has certainly, quote unquote, softened his stance on a yeah, Muslim right. ban, right? Initially, he said he wanted a complete and total ban on okay. Muslims. All right, now and then just... now it's just extreme vetting. <laughs> oh, yeah. And as part of the extreme vetting package, he, uh, his administration is thinking of registering, making a lot of these people who are coming in from terror-prone countries, in quotes, um, to make them register when they come into this country. But also for the people who are from this countries and who are living here in the United States, they also have to register. 
So this particular program called the National Security Entry Exit Registration System, or NSEERS, it's actually been in place before. We've had it for almost a decade since 2001, since the terrorist attacks in 2001. And we did it so secretly, basically, that nobody really um, revolted against this. And now now that I think Kobach and Trump has labeled it as a uh, Muslim registry, now we're finally coming around to the idea that this is bad. And I saw, I don't know whether it was Kobach or one of the Trump advisors said, well, of course we can do this. We've done it before. We had internment camps oh, for the God. Japanese during World War II. Oh, my God. Um, clearly, that was a bad idea. We know that Japanese internment was a bad well, idea. We all know that, <laughs> but does the president of the United States know that? Well, the new president of the United States thinks that is a good idea. So right, the new president, right. I should say. Yeah, not the um, current president, good grief. I, I do think that alluding to something that was that awful in which the yeah, United States yeah. government had to formally apologize, right? I don't think that's a... Uh, a system that we should look to to be like this is what we should strive for right yeah. and particularly with this NCERS program it rounded up many many immigrants um, people who are on work visas on student mm -hmm. visas even people who have been living here for a very long time um, I think over 83,000 or so immigrants had to register 60,000 of whom were immigrant men so there was this one process called the special registration this is part of the component where immigrant men and boys over the age of 16 had to do annual check-ins. Um, and they had to go in for fingerprinting, photographs, interrogations, and then they had to register at local immigration offices. So it was under the pretext of saying, under the guise of saying that we're going after terrorists, yeah. that um, we were able to put more than 10,000 people into deportation proceedings. I don't know of how many of those people were actually deported, but that's how many people we put into deportation proceedings. Um, and here's the kicker, right? Not one single person um, was deported or arrested for a terrorism-related conviction. So mm. that's how effective that program was. Yeah, right. All of that money and all of that effort and everything. Uh, uh, and then it's just... Uh, non-productive at all. Didn't, exactly. Didn't, didn't, didn't prove anything. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Uh, a lot of um, reflection now on the part of the Democratic Party to what the hell happened in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And for a while, there was even a glimmer of hope for Indiana. Well, Tom LoBianco from CNN, he's been on the road throughout 2016 in all these Rust Belt states, and he hails from Indiana, so nobody better to talk to about that today. Now, um, Mike Pence, who is now in charge of the transition, 
Uh, and of course, uh, he, like all Republicans, delighted in Hillary Clinton's uh, email difficulties. It appears that he has uh, some email problems of his own. <laughs> What's that all about? I always kind of laughed at any any politician going after another on this, one but... on on transparency, yeah. um, because there really aren't that many that are transparent. Um, the, the, the backstory here is that as governor. Um, there was a there's a Democratic lawyer uh, and, a, and a, a liberal energy group actually based out here in D.C. They're trying to get some emails uh, from the governor um, and uh, and some state lawmakers. And uh, what the the backstory is is that they went to court. They said that um, you know we don't have to uh, we don't have to provide the full content of this email. It's actually a, I'm sorry, it's not energy. It's dealing with an immigration issue. Oh, okay. It's the uh, uh, state's challenge to the um, Obama executive actions on immigration. You know, Indiana signed on uh, as part of a big consortium of states. And um, what this what this deals with is actually uh, Pence's lawyers arguing that they should not have to provide any emails. Uh, and that there's a statute. See, what's, <laughs> if we look at this, and it's not the central argument. You know, I don't want to overstate things here because it's one argument inside, uh, you know, a batch of arguments they're making on why they should not have to provide these documents. The central case being that we should not have to provide these documents, period. Um, but the bigger question, and I think if if you look at this, we really need to be looking inside our states because this happens all the time. You know, we used to run into this. What he's using is an argument regarding the separation of powers inside the Indiana state government. And the Supreme Court there has decided that it cannot enforce public access laws regarding the state legislature. And the state legislature, the state lawmakers have said that we're not subject mm. to public access laws. They so made this determination two years ago during, of all times, Sunshine Week, oh, which is when yeah. we're supposed to be providing this yeah, stuff. Right. So, you know. so bottom line is Pence is uh, and Republican accusing Hillary of not releasing all of her emails, right? B- 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 trashing thirty thousand of them or whatever. Whereas Don, uh, Mike Pence is doing the same thing. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, it, it, yes. It's it, it reminds me of the uh, Clinton impeachment hearings where the Clintons, the uh, Republicans were impeaching Bill Clinton for lying about having an affair when, in fact, Newt Gingrich and Henry, uh, not, uh, what's his name, who was head of the committee at the time, I forget, uh, the, the, the members of, of the Republican Danny members of the House. Yeah. Danny Burton Danny of Burton, Indiana. Right, of Indiana. Of right. Indiana, right. right. We're doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, look, I, I don't want to impugn uh, the, the incoming vice president here, but you know, I, I do think it's a bit far for him to claim transparency at all when they are trying to hide these things. Um, I, You know, when I was out there... So I how about a congressional investigation of Mike Pence? <laughs> <laughs> you can call for that. I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> but but uh, in Indiana, is anybody pursuing this? Yeah, there's a lawyer. There's a, a Bill Groth, who's a Democratic labor lawyer, lawyer out there, uh, is, is, fi- is fighting this in court right now. Um, you know, we got a lot of public access ad- advocates who are on this. I should note um, that this, the public, there's a public access lawyer who is appointed by the state who reviews these things, who has been very critical of mm-hmm. lawmakers, of the Pence administration, uh, regarding access to documents. 
In this case, he said that they did not go over the line and that they are following the statute and that they are mm-hmm. doing things properly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is not a case of he's really broken the trust already. It's that he might. Yeah. If he followed that argument through to its logical end, which would be, don't look at my emails, go look at this other person's. Right. Congress in session this week. They were out for seven weeks. They come back for one week. Then they'll be off next week for Thanksgiving. We feel so sorry for them. They work so hard. How's that for an introduction, Congressman Mark Pocan from Wisconsin? I was wondering Wisconsin. if I should be out here right now. <laughs> At least I don't set this calendar. That's right. right. Okay. Good to see you, Congressman. Good to Thanks see you for guys. coming in. Yeah, right. Thank you. Uh, it's nice that you have a smile on your face uh, after uh, we hold you personally responsible for the state of Wisconsin. Oh, man, I'm going to have to come back next time there's a seven-week break because I'm getting all the pent-up uh, <laughs> angst here. Oh, man. I'll just be happy to come back at all after that, man. You only hurt the ones you love. You know, yeah, that's true. Right uh, yeah. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Know, you. Let me just say this about Wisconsin, okay? I think what happened in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, almost in Minnesota, is a wake-up call for all of us um, who care about, especially, uh, you know, issues around working families and labor issues. Um, you know, what we, I, I hate this rural white voter monolith that's put out there yeah, because it's yeah. it's really, there's multiple things. The voter we shouldn't have lost is that working class voter. And in my hometown, I was just telling Peter, it's Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, we made uh, cars when I grew up, 14,000 people, American Motors Company, then it was Renault, then mm-hmm. Chrysler. Now no one makes cars. They used to make 25 bucks an hour decades ago. Now you can make $10 an hour at an Amazon distribution center. Uh, yeah. They felt left behind by both parties for decades. Had nothing to do with 2008. Uh, quite honestly, the finessed message of TPP brought them no inspiration from the Democratic side. Uh, and Donald Trump gave simple answers, even if there weren't solutions. And uh, Obama won by 13 points. Trump won by one point. That was a big 14-point shift. We mm. saw that throughout mm. what people call the Rust Belt. And right. I think that just means we got to wake up to how we talk about economics. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's develop that a little bit more in just a second. I want to say hello to our team, Peter Ogburn and Jamie Benson, whom you know, of course. Yeah. Thank you, Warren. Uh, Ray Rogers there. Ray, we'll take your calls if you call at 866-55-PRESS and uh, get you on the air and Cyprian Bolding, our videographer, uh, on the job as well. Uh, Congressman, our good friend, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, today's a big day. Uh, his book uh, comes out today, his new book called Our Revolution, debuts in bookstores today. I'm meeting with his publisher, actually, uh, right after the program, who's my publisher oh. as well, um, Tom Dunn from uh, St. Martin's Press in New York. Uh, you can get a, bo- a copy of the book through our website at billpressshow.com or at your local bookstore. Uh, they'll be everywhere. It's going to be a huge bestseller. Last night, he was at George Washington University. 1,500 people in the Lisner Auditorium, and uh, the center with a message kind of reflecting what you said mm-hmm. about uh, how de- uh, how Democrats have to um, really reach out more than we did this year. Every vote matters. The vote in California, the vote in Wyoming. Candidates for president should have to go after every one of those votes. I think that would create a better uh, democracy than what we have right now. Yeah. There he is, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. So um, he also uh, spoke yesterday um, uh, about a man that you've been speaking about, Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. uh, the now newly named chief strategist 
for the president-elect. Here is Senator Sanders' take on Mr. Bannon. A president of the United States should not have a racist at his side. Unacceptable. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Yeah. yeah so what the does first, it say the first about, what does picks, it say? This, this, this. So the question that every single group, every call I've been on, every constituent group that we've met with since the election has said, you know, what, what should we expect from Donald Trump? And in his first decisions, we're naming the ultimate insider establishment guy, Reince Priebus, and then the ultimate white nationalist in Steve Bannon. So, again, a completely different message by by both of those appointments we have no idea what to expect but when you put someone like steve bannon in a post like that who has this long history of racism anti-semitism sexism go down the list it's clearly a terrible signal to start out this process of putting together a team and uh, we have great concerns about what that means for then the future direction of policy yeah and it looks like bannon will be the um, the, the dominant voice there, right? Even more so than the chief of staff. Yeah, I mean, Reince Priebus's job will be to make sure that the establishment Republicans are heard and to probably keep some level of check. I'm sure that's what his actual job is going to be. And Steve Bannon's job will be to push the envelope for uh, all the causes that he works for, which are quite honestly uh, not causes that 90 plus percent of people in America support. Now, two, one thing that the Republicans are saying and um, uh, even crazy Steve King was out there yesterday defending him, saying he's not as bad as people yeah. think and everything. But they all say, um, and I saw Kevin McCarthy last night at an event, and you know he has said, well, every president gets a right to pick their own staff. I mean, that is true, isn't it? Yeah, but shouldn't you, if, if you're part of that political party, be advising someone not to pick white nationalists? <laughs> I mean, that might be uh, on the list of to-do things for the incoming Republican leadership because it's going to show on them and it's going to dictate those decisions of what's going to happen with all the other appointments. I mean, today I saw Betty DeVos' name on Secretary of Education. I'll tell you, Wisconsin was uh, ground zero for taxpayer funds going to private schools, a terrible failed experiment that leaves public schools behind, leaves kids with disabilities behind, go down the list. She's one of the big funders behind all of those movements. And if you put her as Secretary of Education, bye-bye public education. I mean, this so far the appointments we're seeing by and large, are really extreme, and uh, I think people are just even more uneasy because we don't know what that means. Yeah. You know, but on the Bannon thing really quickly, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday um, who said, you know, this is, you know, George Bush had Karl Rove, and Democrats freaked out over Karl Rove, and they tried to fight Karl Rove, and they made him the boogeyman for a large part of the of the Bush years. But it's you can't look at it like that. No, no. It is a totally <laughs> different beast. Uh, emphasis uh, on the word beast when we're yes. talking about Steve Bannon. <laughs> right. But, you know, Karl Rove had a lot of bad ideas. Mm-hmm. I think he disenfranchised a lot of voters. I think he made a lot of things uh, harder for people to vote. And he pushed, uh, helped sell and push a war that we didn't need to go into. All bad things. But the fabric of who we are is at stake but with Carl Steve Rowe, Bannon. Carl Rowe was no white supremacist. No, what, not a white supremacist, not alt-right, not all the comments and things that have been said by Steve Bannon. And quite honestly, Breitbart News um, is an extreme news source uh, on the right, and a lot of what they put out there uh, he's been responsible for. So we have something to hold him accountable for, which is probably, uh, that I can think of, the most extreme pick I've ever seen in my lifetime. <laughs>
The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, here we go. Uh, kind of ate up the uh, time for any uh, parting shot. So let's just uh, thank you for being there and reinforce what President J. David Cox told us. Is that, yes, the Democratic Party can't just uh, sit back and dust itself off and say we're just going to move forward. No, it needs more than that. It needs a total shakeup from top to bottom. And uh, I think Keith Ellison is the one who's going to be leading that shakeup. All right, folks, here it is, Thursday, November 17. Again, uh, have a great one. Come back and see us tomorrow. Peter this here is a friend is of the Bill. the Bill Press Show.